everyone. This is Amanda Borchel Dan. And I'm Jessica Steinberg. Your host for Times Will Tell. A weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. Hi, everyone. Mazel Tov. The Times of Israel is celebrating 10 years. This is Amanda Borchel Dan. And this week, I'm speaking with Times of Israel founding editor David Horvitz in honor of our anniversary. We want to thank all of you for giving us a chance 10 years ago, and so we're peeling back the curtain for a glimpse behind the scenes. David speaks about what it was like to launch a media platform in a crowded, tough market. We talk about our five language platforms and deep dives into investigative journalism. We hear about the state of Israel generally, and finally, what gives David confidence in the future? I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. David, thank you so much for joining me here in sunny Jerusalem in our office. And we're here to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the Times of Israel's launch. Hey, Amanda. So lovely to be here and looking out the window. The sky's blue. The YMCA building is right next to our office. King David Hotel's around the corner. It's a lovely place to work, and it's a nice um, anniversary to mark. Such a pleasure. David, when we launched 10 years ago, did you really imagine that we'd still be here 10 years on? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think I have to say yes. We started this with the goal of doing something that would find an audience and be worthwhile and would succeed. We didn't know that it was going to work, but I think we hoped it would. I, I think I expected that it would, and I hope that we'll, you know, we'll be going for many years to come as well. Ten years ago, it was already a crowded market here in Israel in English. Why did you think that Israel needed yet another English language newspaper? Yeah, I thought there was a gap in the market, in the middle ground, really, um, for a site that tried to explain what was going on in this country um, without partisan linkage, you know, no instinctive or required support for this or that politician or this or that party. You know, we tried to cover Israel fairly. Uh, I called it the Times of Israel because I wanted to tap into the the historic sense of of the name the Times and, and indicate that this was going to be something that took itself seriously and took its work seriously. And the Israel part is in there because this is a Zionist uh, enterprise. Uh, we believe in in the state of Israel. We want the state of Israel to thrive. And uh, I think that if it's reported fairly, if people understand it fairly. Warts and all, by the way, um, that's good for Israel. I think if I got to the stage where I thought telling Israel's story fairly um, was harming the state of Israel, I'd be very conflicted because I love this country and I'm very committed to serious journalism. Um, but I thought there was room for something fair-minded, and um, so it has proved. Anyone who has read any of your op-eds knows that you attack left, center, right, equally. And I wonder if you've ever had any kind of response from the Jewish community, not in front of the Goyim. Why are you airing Israel's dirty laundry so publicly? Yeah, not so much. I mean, I th I'm sure that there are people who, who who misunderstand what journalism is about. I think it's very dangerous to to cover up things that deserve uh, exposure, that, that need to be exposed, because otherwise they are, they are damaging. Um, and I do think, I think a, a, a vibrant country that wants to survive and thrive, one of the one of the reasons that it's able to do so, one of the things it needs in order to be able to, to do so is a free press that holds those who, who run public life to account, that keeps a check on behalf of the wider public that has access or, or digs 
for information and so on, as well as all the other lovely things that we do, the, the features and the, the stories about interesting people and, and positive events. But, you know, journalism, warts and all, I think it's it's a noble profession. I think it's in, in terrible decline because the economics of journalism have become so difficult. But, uh, and, but I don't get a lot of that. I get, and we all get, I think, you know, everybody in journalism, certainly in Israel and in many other places, gets it from all sides. And I think for us, you know, as I think I find the Times Israel hard to categorize because its reporting is not skewed by uh, an editorial line that pushes its reporters to cover material from, from this or that partisan perspective. I think, you know, you, you get it from both sides and that's a necessary but not sufficient condition. In other words, if we were only being attacked from, say, the political right, we would be doing something wrong. If, it, if we were only being attacked from the political left, we would be doing something wrong. The fact that we're attacked from both sides, it suggests that maybe we're not doing too much wrong, but it's not necessarily proof of that. So, of course, we have our editorial side, and you control the editorial line as much as possible, but the Times of Israel is much more than just an editorial reported newspaper. When we launched 10 years ago, it seems to me that a lot of the buzz came from our very robust blogs platform, which we can't control as much as perhaps even we may like <laughs> sometimes <laughs> in terms of the, the opinions being stated there. Do you see the blogs platform as, as what really kind of brought us to public notice as well? It was part of it, for sure. For one reason or another, and not particularly significant, we opened the blog platform a day before we opened the site itself. It took off from, from the word go. We've never um, actually spent any significant money on marketing the site. We didn't launch with a big bang. We uh, appeared. <laughs> and somehow, and that's been the case the whole 10 years, word of mouth spread and, and interest and resonance and traffic have basically risen ever since. And the blog platform was definitely part of that at the very beginning. And it was as though people had been thirsting um, for a place where they could say things of value. And we do control it. I mean, we, we used to vet the bloggers, but not their posts uh, initially, and that was an insufficient control. Now we um, we check the bloggers as best as you can, by the way. People can do all kinds of terrible things, uh, hijacking identities and stuff like that. We seek to prevent that, but we, we vet the bloggers and we vet um, individual posts, and it's a huge amount of work. What it is, is it's more... I don't know if this is if this is actually fair, but it's extremely diverse. Uh, and a lot of the challenge of running the blog platform is, well, is this something that is okay to have on the site, even though it's a third party blog and, and so on, it's not the voice of the Times of Israel or anything, you know, in the gray areas, that's very difficult. Is this acceptable? or Is this beyond the pale? I think, you know, uh, um, we we deal with that very effectively. The the editors of the blog section, Miriam Hirschlag, uh, in particular, and, uh, and Anne Gordon, they do a very good job. It's very challenging. Very challenging. I know they agonize over it uh, immensely. Uh, in addition to our editorial site and our blog site, we have several languages that we've added and subtracted over the years. <laughs> Perhaps the most robust is French. What caused you to add French? I'll talk you through all the languages. The core of the site is the English site. Um, that's where the the core journalism um, staff work. That's where most of our original content uh, appears. Broadly speaking, we work in English in a Hebrew-speaking environment. Or everybody who works here um, has good to very good Hebrew. You have to have that. Since we were doing this, and we had this excellent material, we and we we also it's it's not you know some of the considerations are not exactly the same. But there was clearly room in in French for um, a non-partisan site covering Israel. 
um, and we found you know all of those languages depend on on excellent editors. I, don't, I speak really, really bad French. I don't edit the French site. Therefore, it has to be somebody who I, who I can trust. And again, that applies for all the languages. And Stephanie Bitan, our, our French uh, editor, is terrific. And she's um, made a great success of that site. It has very, very large resonance. It's a really big deal. And then we introduced an Arabic site. Again, partly, it all comes down to the, to the original commitment to try and report Israel fairly so that people can understand this country. Uh, and the Arabic site in that, in terms of that mission, is is pretty important. How's your Arabic, David? My Arabic is, uh, despite <laughs> some lessons and occasional uh, more serious efforts and some conversations with Suha Halifa, who edits our Arabic site, my Arabic is very poor, um, not good at all. Um, so again, you're you know you have faith in your editors, and uh, um, and it's it's been vindicated. We um, so we also publish in Arabic. We publish in Farsi. Um, the Arabic and the Farsi and the French have a little bit of original content and, and quite a lot that's translated from the English. Uh, and in the last couple of years, we've started a Hebrew site called Zman, Zman Israel, Zman.co.il, which has um, a larger proportion of original content than any of the other language sites. It's a small team of, of journalists who are working there. You say, you know, some we've started and, and some we've, we've stopped. The one language that we started and stopped was actually Chinese. Uh, it turned out that uh, the site was not um, enabled <laughs> for access uh, in China. Um, it, for, for reasons beyond our control, Chinese people couldn't, couldn't read it. And therefore, there was not much point in proceeding with it, unfortunately. I know each language has its own successes. Uh, I remember speaking with Suha, and she told me that a lot of health reporting on her site flies. What do you see flying on the English Times of Israel? Okay, it's a, it's a really good question. And there's so much that you can say about the choices that you make and um, the, the resources that you allocate and um, how you prioritize what appears on the site um, and the degree to which your knowledge of how many people will read this or that article um, does and should determine um, all of all of those considerations. The fact is, um, although we, we're very interested in reaching lots of people, we're also very interested in doing the reporting that we think is important. Um, and generally, um, those interests coincide. Uh, but I can tell you, you know, when, you, when you're the Times of Israel, um, and your core readership is people who care about Israel and who care about the Jewish world, um, there are nonetheless areas that, that leap the niche um, of, of, our, of our regular uh, readership. Uh, and those include um, health issues, and I'll come back to that in a second, archaeology for sure, um, uh, household pets, and um, sex, basically. Um, we once had a story about an exhibition at the Israel Museum of... Uh, plaster wall hangings from ancient Iraq um, showing domestic animals. So you had three of the four, you know, core, core drivers of traffic in one story. Um, archaeology is an incredible thing. People are, are fascinated by archaeology. You know this, you, 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 you do an awful lot of our archaeological reporting. It's incredibly resonant. People are fascinated. Um, sex and, and, and supermodels and, and that kind of material, which we don't focus a great deal of, of um, uh, resources on, you know, any, anything that has a mention of that, you, you, you know, you see uh, traffic um, and household pets. I mean, again, we don't do much about, you know, cats and so on. But when those stories, for, for legitimate reasons, appear on the site, like I say, they, they leap the niche. The, the, the most, in the most serious way now, in the last couple of years, 
Um, I'm not sure that health is always something that takes you out of the Times of Israel niche, but uh, the coronavirus and the fact that Israel was was breaking ground for all kinds of reasons, um, very fast to, fact, to vaccinate lots of people, uh, lots of data that was coming out of here, uh, and, the, and also the fact that we have a very, very good health reporter, uh, Nathan Jaffe, um, who, whose work is, is reliable. That material has, uh, has been incredibly resonant. And that's, that takes me to you know, the challenge that all um, journalistic outlets face, which is there are, there's material that you know if you um, focus on it, if you give resources to it, uh, will bring you lots of traffic. There's material that if you know you sensationalize, uh, will bring you lots of traffic. And, you know, we're not perfect, but we try not to do that. I mean, there's no website that, uh, that isn't thinking to some extent of uh, what is sometimes called clickbait. You know, if we give it this, you know, if we focus on that, if we do that, it's going to boost our traffic. So even the most high-minded of websites um, might give you their top 10 lists and will certainly be seeking uh, headlines that will grab your attention. Um, and we certainly do that latter thing. Uh, but we try to report responsibly. We really do. And again, we get stuff wrong sometimes. If, it's, if, if, if so, and if we become aware of it, we want to fix it. We, uh, we, we want to put that right. But we do try to avoid sensationalizing uh, material. And in the area of health, it, you know, nothing could be more crucial. It's irresponsible um, and dangerous to, um, to take at face value sometimes some of the claims that people make when they put out press releases. Uh, um, in a, it's a very innovative country. Uh, and sometimes innovators get a little carried away with what they've achieved. Uh, we, you know, in, in terms of COVID, the focus very much on, on peer-reviewed material. Uh, we had a story just a few days ago that Nathan wrote about an Israeli study, a really credible peer-reviewed Israeli study about how effective vitamin D can be in fighting COVID. You know, colossal amount of interest in that story. And part of it, I think, is, uh, oh, it's the Times of Israel. Oh, it's Nathan Jaffe. We know they're credible. This is something that makes sense. And then you read the story and you see it's a peer-reviewed study. It's not some... Uh, um, unsubstantiated and potentially exaggerated claim that's being made. So that's really important. Now, Nathan joined us uh, about two years ago when the pandemic began. But prior to that, you had more of a, shall we say, a core team of reporters. What do you see as the core beats that must be covered out of Israel? Well, Nathan, I think, joined actually not long before, but not um, once COVID had started. You know, we, he'd come on board a little before and boy, was that, you know, fortuitous because he's a terrific reporter and this became such a, you know, incredible, uh, important story for for all of our readers and 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 people who um, who wouldn't normally come to our site. Uh, look, we've, what we've done, we started with a smaller team of reporters. One of the things that we've done and that we should be proud of is we've grown uh, the reporting staff. You asked at the very beginning, you know, did I think we'd still be here ten years from now and so on? So I thought we'd be here, but I also think the value in being here is the original work. I mean, we use as as all journalistic outlets do. We use uh, news agency content uh, alongside our original content. Uh, we report stuff that, uh, that is on the radio and that is on the TV that, that is out there for all the world to see. Uh, but we do a great deal of original reporting. And I think the original reporting is what matters most. Um, there, are, there are beats that it's obvious that you have to uh, fill. You have to have somebody who, who's tasked with covering uh, diplomacy where Israel's concerned. You have to have someone who's tasked with covering the military security beat. Um, this is a kind of s s tiny country in a 
at least partly very, very hostile region. We've made some new friends lately, some very welcome new friends. So you you, you need that. You do need a health reporter in this day and age. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure I would have said that three years ago, that you absolutely, it would be unthinkable not to have somebody uh, tasked with covering health. Uh, this is a very uh, innovative country, as, as I said. So to have someone whose focus, Ricky Ben-David, whose focus is on is on tech and innovation, you know, vital. Um, there And there are other core beats. I am sort of endlessly unsatisfied. I'd like to have more reporters than we have now. Um, you know, we, we use our resources as best we can, uh, and people work incredibly hard, but the, the staff has grown, and, uh, and that, I'm very proud of that. After this short break, we'll continue speaking with Times of Israel founding editor David Horvitz. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. Now, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. In addition to our languages and the tech site and our blog site, I feel like uh, this is the old woman who swallowed a fly at this point, but there's another main core area of our journalism that we haven't talked about yet, and that is investigative journalism that has just blossomed in the last several years. Talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's some of the most important um, work that we've done, and um, our main um, investigative reporter, Simona Weinglass, um, has spent uh, an awful lot of energy and it's incredibly challenging, uh, taking on financial crime, um, which unfortunately there's a, there's a layer of it in this country, um, along with all the, the wonderful innovation in, in, all, in all kinds of fields, notably in, in, in um, medicine and technology and so on. Uh, in the financial field, there's uh, a blight of uh, a lot of online abuse and, and people being um, defrauded um, by, by various scammers. Um, because of Simona's reporting, as a direct consequence, the Knesset actually banned um, a largely fraudulent industry here called binary options. In its in its Israeli um, incarnation iteration, it was largely fraudulent, and it involved people um, duping uh, victims all over the world into thinking that they were making um, short-term investments. When essentially, um, I guess the best way to describe it is they were they were gambling in a bent casino, not merely gambling, but gambling in a crooked casino. The the odds were um, stacked against them in an unavoidable way, and they, they were destined to lose uh, all their money. Uh, and it took a lot of uh, work to expose this. You can imagine the the legal challenges and the threats, and then trying to explain uh, to the Knesset, to the relevant Knesset members why what what exactly was going on and why they needed to do something about it. That was a whole story uh, in and of itself. 
uh, it's not an entirely uh, wonderful tale of success and uh, um, and all evil being stamped out in that field because the legislation that was actually eventually passed by the Knesset was somewhat watered down. Um, and um, some of the scammers, at least, have been able to adjust what they do uh, and avoid the legislation. Others of them have moved abroad, and there are all kinds of other iterations. Um, that's just one example. We try to um, uh, to expose bad mis- misdeeds and 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 uh, misdoings when we come across them. When you're talking about people who have become immensely wealthy. Um, by uh, duping and defrauding innocent people, they have lots of money. And uh, not only do we get threats as a consequence of these pieces, uh, we also get all kinds of legal threats. So, you know, illegal threats, shall we say, and legal threats. Um, And to to my dismay, since I'm being candid here, um, many of the most well-known law firms in Israel represent um, some of the most um, illegal operators uh, in Israel. And... um, you only are able to do good journalism uh, in that field if you get your facts right and if you have uh, and if you're willing to um, to stand by them uh, even under both illegal I would say and legal threats and we've done that and again um, particular credit to Simona you know I'm her editor and I I I I feel the strain of the work that she's doing but she's the person on the front line and and maybe the the best way to or one of the ways to, to bring this home to people listening to this, um, why is it so challenging here? Now, we're, we're speaking in the midst of a, a, a scandal whose dimensions we do not know, um, with the alleged abuse by police of spyware. Um, maybe, maybe later on when people are listening to this, they'll have a sense of how accurate or inaccurate some of the um, initial revelations uh, turn out to be. But our... Um, problems that we've encountered with Israeli law enforcement um, is basically that they are utterly out-resourced and either unwilling or unable uh, to take on the bad guys. You know, people think of movies like Spotlight or All the President's Men, um, where media exposes wrongdoing. And that's the story, because once you've published the story, law enforcement goes into action and the bad guys are brought to justice. Uh, our experience with uh, investigative journalism in Israel against criminals in Israel all too often is that we report the story um, and uh, nothing happens. The police do nothing in binary options, for example. I don't think there's been a single successful prosecution in this country. Um, it's the United States that's taken on these criminals and uh, and has pressured Israeli police on occasion to act, but Israeli police has not acted. And therefore, you expose them nothing happens, they feel emboldened, and then come the threats. Uh, so that's something that has to change. Uh, you know, we, a, again, as I say, the police are in the eye of the storm at the moment. Uh, they've been underfunded. They were left without a police commissioner for a couple of years. Um, s- super smart people. I don't think enough of them are interested in going into the police. We have a problem with law enforcement in this country, so um, it's played out in that area too. Is that one of the reasons why uh, you began Zman Yisrael, the ability to report about these alleged crimes in Hebrew, in a language that perhaps the Israeli police will take a little more seriously? That's in the mix somewhere, but I think the the idea for Zman, I mean, you, you know what, maybe centrally, the realization that even though we're um, non-native Hebrew speakers, many of us, people who came to this country having been born elsewhere, not all of us, but, but some of us, me, for example, um, 
you know, there's a risk of, or there's a there's a certain inferiority complex. Well, I'm not a native Israeli. Do I really understand everything about this country? Uh, it's all very well explaining it to other people who don't speak Hebrew as their first language. But over the years, you realize, wow, there's stuff that's not being reported, that that we're reporting, and um, it's not out there in Hebrew. So that was uh, that was part of the mix, for sure. In honor of the Times of Israel's 10th anniversary, we're hearing from founding editor David Horowitz. More after this break. Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from the Times of Israel. Come join our community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. And we're back. When you opened the Times of Israel 10 years ago, the world of journalism was pretty dire. As you mentioned, it's only possibly gotten worse. How are we still making a living and <laughs> making all our languages a living as well and then what's happening here how is our traffic okay so i mean first of all uh, big time um journalism the, the economics of journalism were uh, of print journalism or written journalism were devastated by the internet um which has many many positives and many many negatives but in terms of the viability the economic viability of newspapers very very challenging because you earn much less from a page view than you or many page views than you would from a newspaper subscription or somebody purchasing your newspaper. And so that's very challenging. We've um, had a commitment to keep the site open. There's there's none of the times there's always behind a paywall. And therefore, our revenue, core revenue really comes in, in two main areas. One is advertising on the site. And the more traffic you have, the more revenue you get from advertising. And our traffic has, has really grown consistently through the decade and we make no secret of uh, of our traffic and it's available for people you know if, if you want to look at uh, websites like similar web for example as there's, there's publicly um, available figures our traffic is now about 35 to 40 million page views a month on average and about 8 million unique users uh, a month and that's uh, that's a pretty sizable um, readership uh, and we've supplemented that, and this is something um, that we thought was the, the right way of doing this. We, we want our content to, to reach as many people as possible, um, but if people find it important and can, we'd like them to help finance it. So we set up the Times of Israel community, and um, for from $6 a month, people can join the community, and we provide, as you know, Amanda, because you do a lot of this, uh, we provide um, some original content, um, for that community, uh, and we provide we we give some of our material to the community uh, a little before we place it on the site for everybody, and it's uh, it's a very nice relationship. People who care about the Times of Israel, uh, for whom it has become important, and who want to help you know pay the bills, uh, they they do that through joining the community, and that too has has grown uh, consistently and continues to grow. We've it's been open for um, I think about two years so far, and that's become an important part of our of our revenue. Who is the Times of Israel for? Uh, well, it's for it's for anybody um, who can read the languages that we publish in. That's that's a deceptively simple question. It's a very complicated question, including when you when you are commissioning uh, and writing material. How much knowledge do you assume? Who do you think is reading it? So there's no single answer to that. First of all, we're read all over the world. About half of our traffic is in North America. A substantial part of our traffic is here in Israel, uh, and and all over the rest of the world. Uh, and that's very challenging because some of our readers are incredibly um, wise 
and updated to all the nuances of the material that we're covering. And some of them may know very little about uh, this or that subject that we're writing about. That's a challenge for, for journalists uh, everywhere in every field to at once be, be bringing something new and fresh and interesting to people with expertise and not to lose the people who are coming fresh to a subject. So, you know, it's challenging in our situation. There are other challenges, you know, the... Uh, the the fact that we're in Jerusalem and much of our readership is in North America in you know very different time zones and there can be very interesting stuff going on here um, before American readers are up in the morning and lots of interesting things to report when most Israelis are um, ending their day and going to bed. We're a 24-7 site. Um, that's challenging in terms of resources. It's challenging in terms of, of the work that, that our staff do. And uh, it's a challenge that we've met pretty well, I think, over the last decade. I know just anecdotally, I was writing a story and I sent it to my grandmother who was born in Iowa. And she wrote me back saying, this is a good story, but what is a minyan? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you never know, right? So it's a prayer quorum, Amanda's grandma. <laughs> of blessed yeah. memory. <laughs> oh, I see. But that's, um, but that's um, you know, that's a little, a nice little insight. Yeah, things that... Um, you know, Hebrew Hebrew words that creep into our vocabulary as English, as native English speakers living in Israel for a long time, we all lapse into Hebrew, and you do it in your writing. And uh, you know, we have a very good copy editing team, um, led by Plina Baumgarten, who keeps us honest and uh, and makes sure that we use language that people can understand. Let's also speak about the state of Israel in general. Uh, you mentioned right now the Pegasus affair. Your op-ed last week was about Mandelblit and just some. Uh, shall we say, suspicious dealings that he uh, did at the end of his term. Yeah, not suspicious, but, you know, bizarre, uh, unfathomable. Anyway, carry on. Where do you see Israel right now? Look, this is an incredible country, um, and it's thriving in, a, in such an inhospitable region, um, and it's relatively secure by, by the standards of modern Israel. Uh, it has become increasingly secure, although I do not play down the threat posed by Iran at all. That's that's a very, very dangerous, rapacious regime that tells the world that it wants to wipe us out. You have to take that seriously. Um, we have to find a way to solve the Israeli-Palestinian problem in a way that's, um, that ensures we maintain Israel as a majority Jewish state and a, and a democracy. And we could speak for hours about the complexities of that. Uh, because relinquishing territory, we did it in southern Lebanon and we did it in Gaza and we saw terrorist armies take over. So it's not simple. It's uh, an incredible challenge for Israel. Broadly speaking, though, a country that, that's thriving, that's innovative, where there is a sense of community, where people care about each other, many, many positives, endless concerns. And uh, I, I mean, that's that's got to be the journalist's approach. I'd be very happy if, uh, if we got to the stage where really, you know what, nothing to report. Just cats and sex and supermodels <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not sure we even then we'd allocate resources to that but um you know you, you're on the lookout for and you're concerned about things that that threaten the well-being of this country Th this israel again which which we want to be a permanent uh, majority jewish democratic light unto the nations and uh whatever we can do to help it on that course and highlight when there are when there are things that depart from that that necessity that's what we'll try to do David, one last question before we leave. What gives you confidence for the future? <sighs> Look, I guess the, the best source of, of hope and inspiration is the, is the younger generations that we somehow create in this country. And uh, I look at my kids and I look at their peers and um, I look at the, 
the challenges that they had growing up here, um, including you know military service and serious military service in the case of all three of my kids. And in it, before that, an education system that um, it's not particularly well-funded. Um, and yet, we turn out these incredible people, uh, smart and savvy and self-sufficient and creative and confident and mature and capable. I mean, I think anyone listening to this, you know, who's raised kids in Israel or grew up in Israel... Uh, will appreciate the accuracy of what I'm saying. Somehow we, we continue to create these extraordinary generations of young people who are not intimidated by anything and who have a can-do mindset and actually can do. Uh, and I think that's the most astonishing thing about this country and the most encouraging thing about this country and the reason why you have to feel confident about the future well-being of this country. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks so much for listening to Times Will Tell from the Times of Israel. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein. Please subscribe wherever you find your podcast and check out our daily briefing news show every Sunday through Thursday. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next week. Shalom. Shalom.